welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations, to find my backlist of interviews, or to check out my summer reading guide for 2023, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. There is also a link to the summer reading guide in the show notes. I am thrilled to announce that I have launched a new Patreon level for those interested in accessing even more unique bonus content. My original level, called Page Turners, still includes my popular Early Reads program, where patrons have access to monthly early digital reads through NetGalley and exclusive pre-publication author chats, as well as monthly bonus episodes and fun surprise content. My new level is entitled Lit Lovers and includes all of the Page Turners benefits, as well as access to my new Traveling Galley program, where patrons have early access to at least three to four new titles a month that are in print galley form and are passed along to other members, a monthly fiction-nonfiction pairing episode, a monthly episode containing bonus, spoiler-filled interviews with three authors, and finally, read-alike requests via email. Lit lovers can send me a book they loved, and I will respond with similar titles. This was such a popular and time-consuming add-on for me that I am moving it off of my main show. My true love is author conversations, and I want to be able to keep that focus on the show. Today, Ashley Poston joins me to chat about The Seven-Year Slip. Ashley is the New York Times bestselling author of The Dead Romantics. A native to South Carolina, she lives in a small gray house with her sassy cat and too many books. You can find her on the internet somewhere, watching cat videos and reading fan fiction. I adored The Seven-Year Slip. It is one of my July Buzz Reads picks, as well as on my summer reading guide. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Ashley. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm so excited to chat with you because I just loved the seven-year slip. Thank you very much. I think it's my favorite so far too, but that feels like I'm betraying all of my other books when I say that. (laughs) I always like to ask that question, like, which book do you like best? And I almost always get the current one because I think that's an easy answer, you know? Well, is is the one you you remember the most because... uh, you, you keep writing new stories, and so you kind of forget the old ones until you go back and you flip through them, and you're like, oh, no, I loved this book. <laughs> so I guess it really depends. It's hard to choose. 
It is. It's like trying to choose a child. Exactly. I was just thinking that. And definitely with respect to my children, certain children are favorites on certain days. So books (laughs) may be the same way. Just depends on what's happening. <laughs> that is exactly like my cats. I, I I have two, so it's hard to choose a favorite. But but certain days, certain days, you know, if you know. So before we dive into my questions, would you give me a quick synopsis of the seven year slip, please? Of course, uh, the seven year slip is about a an overworked publicist named Clementine who inherits her late aunt's uh, Upper East Side apartment. But when she moves in, she finds that it's a little bit more magical than she previously figured. She ends up having a surprise roommate, a man who lived in the apartment seven years ago because the apartment kind of bends time. And so she starts falling in love with this with this man who lived seven years in the past. And maybe he's somewhere in her future as well. Have you always been interested in time travel? I have. I've always been a fan of Doctor Who. <laughs> so so the whole wibbly wobbly timey wimey bit has been has been fun. Has has always like captured my heart. And I love uh like time travel, like going back in time and, and and those kind of books. So I always knew I wanted to write a novel that had some kind of time bendiness to it, but uh I wasn't sure what kind until I thought about this novel. I love time travel myself. And so I was really excited to read this one because I always am so curious how authors are going to create the story, handle the time travel issues, because that can be really tricky, and then how it's all going to play out. And this was just done so, so well. Thank you. Um, I have to say that a really big part of this book firing on on all cylinders is my great editor. She kept me in line and she kept the timeline pristine. Well, it can be tricky. And then also sometimes it probably is hard not to get caught up in all the time travel details, which really don't matter most of the time. You know, there can be a little bit of that, but really how is it working doesn't really matter as long as it makes sense. That was one of the big things. I kind of got lost in the sauce in one of the drafts. And then my my editor was like, you can you can pull back a little bit. We don't need to know everything with how this happens, just that it does and your characters believe it. So uh, once you told me that, I was like, oh, no, you're right, Amanda. And I just ran with it. But I can see that. And I think that probably still was such a useful exercise for you because you were able to think through how it was happening. So even though you don't use those pages that you wrote about all of that, it did inform your story and your writing. It definitely did. It was nice to know kind of how it works. But since it's not important to the story, it's not on the page. Exactly. Well, was this one so much fun to write, even though it tackles tough topics? I always say that it's really easy to tell when an author has loved their story and enjoyed writing it. Do you feel that way about this one? I do. This was a really difficult one to write, mostly because I am not a cook. Uh, I had to spend so much time in the kitchen, like learning how to cook. And I talked with a lot of like people who are chefs or were chefs and are now booksellers. And so... It was it was a lot of fun to slowly like discover Ewan through recipes and and through different uh, books that I read about cooking and food, and so I think that was that was like a very difficult aspect of it. But the other side, uh, Clementine, I used to work in publishing, so that was that was smooth sailing for me. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. Was I knew you used to work in publishing. 
So was it really fun to write about that and have that be Clementine's profession? It was. It was so much fun. Um, I wasn't a publicist. I was a marketing designer. So it's it's not like a one for one, but everything that I love about publishing and about Summer in the City, I put into the seven year slip because it does deal with like a, a small part of the book deals with grief and loss and heartache. And so I wanted everything surrounding it to be injected with all of the good, lovely things that Clementine enjoys about New York City and about her job, even though she's kind of like falling out of love with it slowly. So, uh, so yeah. And we'll talk about the grief in a few minutes because I definitely do want to talk about that. But the other thing you touched on was New York City. And it felt like a love letter to New York City. I personally love New York City. My daughter goes to college there. I've always spent a lot of time there. It's such a fabulous, vibrant place. And I felt like you completely brought that to life in your book. Thank you. I, I loved New York City when I lived there as well. There are some like not great aspects about it. You know, I, I miss not being able to like see the full sky. I'm a country girl. So I think that's what I miss the most. But now that I'm not living in New York City, I, I put everything that I loved into it because it kind of there's kind of this homesickness, too, about not being there anymore while in the summer. And so I, I wanted to to kind of like keep some of those things fresh in my memory and put them on page. We lived in Connecticut when I was young, and so my dad would take the train into the city. So I've actually never lived in the city, but I've spent a lot of time there. But I've always said that's probably the perfect way to do it, because there are some things that I think if I were actually to live there might drive me absolutely insane. But it's such a fun, vibrant place. There's so much to do. I absolutely love Broadway shows, so we spend a lot of time doing that. And there's just no other city that has those characteristics constantly going. People everywhere, almost all of the time, always something to do. Everything's open. You know, it's just such a fun place and you really can't replicate it. You really can. There's this like strange sort of like um, energetic magic that just comes alive when like the sun's beginning to set and like people are going out and enjoying like dinners and, and they're going to bars and they're going to like theater. And it's just there's nothing quite like it, like a nice, lovely stroll through the city in the evening. It's so lovely. And every area is so drastically different and has changed and is changing. So even though there'll be an area like Soho that I had been to many times, but hadn't been in probably seven years, and we just went recently when I took my daughter back up there, and it's so different now, but still really cool. And I think that's the fun part. You're on the Upper East Side, the Upper West Side, Soho, the Village. You know, there's just all these different places that have such strong personalities. Mm -hmm. They they do have very strong personalities. And it's really hard to like capture them because they are like this this uh, this living moving thing. So I, I, I hope I I hope I did did them justice. <laughs> I definitely felt like you did. Thank you. So let's turn to the grief part. I have recently had some losses in my life, and I feel like grief is a difficult thing. And I can always tell when an author has really experienced grief herself because there's a different way that it is handled. And I could tell that you had. And then I got to your author's note, and you explain all of that. We can talk a little bit about it and how. At the beginning, when you were handling it, you wrote it one way. And then after you experienced a loss, you went back and realized, oh, gosh, like, I'm not sure I really captured that the way I wanted to. And I think it's difficult. I think until you go through some of those things, you just have no concept of what grief is like. So can we talk a little bit about that? 
Of course. It's like you you always I, I think the first um, the first few drafts of the seven year slip, I wrote it thinking like hoping like this is how I would feel if if this did happen. It was a lot more I wouldn't say hopeful, but it was it, it was it was different. It was it was my perfect scenario of how a character would react if this happened. And I had a tragedy in my family and I realized that I was doing a disservice to everyone who had gone through something similar because grief is messy and there's no like perfect way to go through it. It's like you are shoved into the woods. You don't have a compass and you don't know how to get to the other side, but you know you have to go. Um, And everyone takes like their own path through it. And some people are slower than others. And then when you get to the other side, you realize there, there isn't another side. You're going to be wandering through these woods forever. But sometimes you meet other people who in, in the woods and you're like, oh, you too? And they're like, yeah, me too. And so you have a buddy to, to, to wander with. People say that time heals all wounds. And I don't agree with that at all. I think that Nothing really heals the wounds. I think that love makes the wounds bearable. So like the love you had for for the people that are no longer there and the love you have for the people that still surround you, I think are the things that like keep you. I, I, I wanted to explore that and talk about it. And also how like love changes and how love is great and lovely and food and all of that. So it's so like this book is not really sad. It is kind of sad, but I didn't want people to come to the end of the book and just be sad. <laughs> so I hope I also injected the seven year slip with like, with fun, with joy, and a lot of love. I don't think the story is actually sad at all. I think there are some sad components, but I did not finish the story thinking, oh my gosh, I feel so heavy and depressed. I thought you handled it all beautifully. I feel like it added depth to the story and realism, but it is generally a hopefully happy, really clever story. Like I definitely think it's uplifting and not sad at all. Like it's not one that I would say, okay, be ready with tissues when you're reading this one. Oh, good. It's not a Nicholas Sparks. I'm so glad. (laughs) It's definitely not a Nicholas Sparks. Uh, So we don't have to go down that road, but it is really well done. And I just felt like it was so good. And a little bit, I want to talk about the ending, not the actual ending, but talk about how you decided to come up with the ending, because that was another thing that can be really tricky in time travel stories. And so I was curious how that was going to go. But before we talk about that, Tell me a little bit more about the apartment. Another thing that you brought to life, very strong. I am such a huge fan of really strong sense of place. And I'm sure probably working in publishing helped a little bit with that. But you did a great job of creating that. And the apartment, like I could just feel like I was there. And this concept of Clementine's there, and then all of a sudden somebody else is there. And the pigeons and everything. It was just so much fun. Was that was that easy or did it really take a lot of drafts? I think the apartment itself was the only thing that did not change throughout all the drafts. The apartment was always there. It was always strange. At one point, it wasn't the apartment that traveled, but the doors in the apartment. But it was always something about the apartment that was a little bit time-bendy. So I think when I first started, I, I, I knew the gimmick of the time travel, right? And I just had to figure out everything around it. I had to figure out Clementine and especially Ewan and 
their relationship because she falls in love with him seven years in the past. And then how does that translate to the present and the future? So I had to figure all that out. And that was the really tricky part. But the the apartment itself, the, the apartment was easy. Yes, it's such a clever concept to have just the apartment. So even when she steps out of the apartment, everything changes and she goes back in and suddenly, oh, wait, what happened? So I just loved that. I thought it was so clever, but I thought it probably required a fair amount of thinking, even though it didn't change a lot, to just think, how does this work? Oh, it, it did. I ab- um, I absolutely had quite a bit of like mistakes in the timeline when I turned in the first draft. But again, my, my editor, Amanda Bergeron, is amazing. And she kept the timeline so tight and so good. And also my copy editor just flagged <laughs> Um, all the stuff that even we missed. Uh, it really takes a village to raise a book. <laughs> I love that, to raise a book. <laughs> it's never just one person slaving away at a at a Word document. It, it goes through at least a, like a handful of people. And I'm sure with something particularly like this, that does require a little more mind bending. You know, you're having to kind of think, okay, exactly how does all of this play out and why, which I also really liked about it. So let's talk about the ending, not actually the ending. But coming up with the ending, because again, like I said, the entire time I was reading, I'm like, I love this book and I really hope I love it when it's done because the ending can totally make a break a book. I mean, at least it can for me. And I loved the way you did that. So did you always know that's where you were going or did it take writing and rewriting and kind of thinking through how it was going to play out for them? Like, what was that like? So whenever I, I I write a book that is tricky like that, I did the same for The Dead Romantics. I always try to have the ending in mind or some semblance of it. Like I know that that there that something is going to happen and it's going to end in this way. So I have I have that set out from the beginning or I try to. And it just it just happened to 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 work out twice in a row that as I was writing the book I, I managed to get like within the vicinity of like that scene at the end because you're like shooting for it, right? And then when you get to it, you have to write it, and it just it, it ended up clicking really well. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is this is the ending. I was right. It's the best feeling. It it feels like your first Scholastic book fair. It's just it's so addicting when you when when I predict something and I have a scene in mind and then when I get to it, it's the exact thing that that I anticipated. I, I love that feeling. I'm sure it's delightful because you're like, okay, this all worked out. Because like I mentioned before, with time travel in particular, the ending can be tricky. And so I was just like, oh, please list this end in a way that I'm like, oh, great. You know, everything is wrapped up, but it makes sense. It's reasonable within what you've written already. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was the perfect way to end the book. Thank you. I, I couldn't really end it any other way because I, I am so sick of time travel stories that don't end with happy endings. I agree. Or ambiguous endings. I'm looking at you, the lake house. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Or also just endings that you're like, there's no way that would really happen. And of course we're talking time travel. So, I mean, it's, there's not really any way it's happening anyway, but you know what I'm saying? Like you get to the end and you're like, oh, okay, you know, that that isn't effective or it isn't very satisfying in addition to like the unhappy endings or ambiguous endings. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to try and like find an ending that was satisfying that I kind of worked towards the entire book. For, for me, that's like the trick to endings. It's like something that you that you know from the beginning that you're working toward. Well, it worked very well. Thank you. 
What was the highlight of writing the book? Learning how to cook all these different foods. As I said before, I am a terrible cook, but I love to eat. I am, I am such a foodie. When I was growing up, I really didn't care to learn how to cook. My mom always offered. And I was like, no, I'm going to go read a book instead. <laughs> so uh, that really came back to bite me. But I really enjoyed learning more about the culinary arts and reading uh, novels about it. I think I have a, a rec list at the end of the book. And I think three or four of those are just memoirs or cookbooks that I, that I wholeheartedly enjoyed. So I think that was one of my favorite parts of it. I can see that. And I loved that you had the book recommendation list at the end. Thank you. I, I, I had How to Lose a Time War before it was popular. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to do other research in addition to the food research? I had to do, oh yeah, I had to do um, food truck permit research for New York City. <laughs> and I went through learning about how like gifting apartments work and how inheriting apartments work in New York City and like the law surrounding that. So <laughs> it was a lot of boring like behind the scenes research for this one actually. <laughs> Well, and the way apartments can work in New York City can be super complicated. Yes, very, very complicated. And as soon as I learned that, I was like, okay, we're going to hand wave this. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make this as easy as possible. And most people aren't going to know the difference because the laws are so complicated and people aren't going to be stuck in the weeds on that. So they're going to be like, great, this looks good to me. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, unless you're an estate attorney or something. In New York City. Yes, exactly. In New York City, very specifically. <laughs> Well, what surprised you the most when writing this one? Uh, I think what surprised me the most was how much I enjoyed writing about just the book process. I, I ended up basically writing about a book auction, but turn it to 11. And I just had so much fun thinking up gimmicks and fun things that, that maybe a really famous uh, chef would do to try and like nail the perfect uh, publisher. So. That was a lot of fun. And I really like the, the cameos that I managed to sneak in. People who enjoy the dead romantics will love, will love like one specific scene. I really like there's so much about this book that I really enjoyed. Just so much. <laughs> well, I love when authors do Easter eggs. I have to say I haven't read the dead romantics yet. So I did not recognize the characters that came from that. But it's so much fun when that happens. It is. Uh, it's like it's like a pointing. It's like the Spider Man meme, you know, where they're pointing to each other. You, I know you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 so much fun. Like my my one rule with like cameos is is that if people who haven't read uh, the book they're from meet these characters, uh, the the characters in the scene operate in the same way as if the reader read that scene, knowing who the characters were. So. That's like my my like one rule when I include characters from other um, from other books. It's a nice surprise for those that recognize it. For those that don't, the story just flows seamlessly. Exactly, exactly. Um, if you don't know Benji, he's just another editor at another imprint. Exactly. Well, your last book, The Dead Romantics, which you just mentioned, was a GMA pick. Tell me about that. They're my favorite by far of the celebrity book clubs. I call it a celebrity book club, even though it's GMA, but of the big book clubs that people watch for. Tell me all about how fun that had to be. 
Oh my gosh. It was so much fun. Also, it was so much work. Not that I'm complaining. It was lovely. It, I think the worst part was the actual interview because there were three different cameras and one of them was moving on like a moving tripod thing and it was really unnerving. And the interview was like 30 minutes long, but they only included the two and a half minutes where I likened myself to wet cats in a skin suit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is hilarious. Okay, first of all, we got to talk about that in a second. But they do a 30-minute interview, and then it's only two and a half minutes when it airs? It's two and a half to four minutes when it airs, yeah, depending on like uh, what else they're, um, they're talking about that day. Okay. And then tell me about the cat. I had all these lovely, long answers for a lot of thoughtful questions that Eva Pilgrim asked me. And uh, one was, I, I think it was about me and uh, I think writing and I'm and I said that I was just I I have anxiety so I'm just uh like I'm just full, like seven wet cats in a skin suit or something <laughs> and that's what they included and I was like oh no you're calling them up can we not pick a different segment of this interview please basically I was like listen I know I know I just kept cracking up whenever they told me to look pensive in the B-roll footage. And, and then I, I, I get it. I understand. This is, this is my comeuppance. I, I get it. But did you have to choose that quote? Okay. I love that. I mean, I know you didn't love it, but it is pretty darn funny. <laughs> Thank you. And I have heard that you have to make all sorts of supplemental materials and that that can be very time consuming. Oh yeah, I um for the announcement video, I think I recorded over 150 takes of the uh, announcement video. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was it was a lot. And yeah, I get very very good at pitching the dead romantics. <laughs> well, yes, I guess that part of it's good. You're you're more comfortable with the marketing aspects because I'm sure that is difficult. I mean, I find that to be the hardest part of what I do is trying to promote myself. I mean, who wants to promote themselves? And I know authors just have to do that all the time. So at least maybe you gained some more experience and comfort in that. I wish I could say I did, but now all I want to do is talk about any book that is not mine. And that is not ideal for for my publicists who are like, no, Ashley, talk about your books. And I'm like, no, quit talking about these other books. We need to talk about you. <laughs> and I'm like, but why? <laughs> okay, I love that. That is really funny. Well, you wrote YA before you wrote The Dead Romantics and The Seven-Year Slip. Why did you make the change? Uh, so when I first signed with Holly, Holly Root, my, my agent, I told her that I wanted to do romance and I also wanted to do YA. And she signed me with a YA novel. But, um, but then she was like, okay, yeah, great. I represent both. And I'm like, sweet. So YA is where I started because I love stories about first love and 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 finding yourself in in the broader world and I love a lot of the, the themes that are uh, prevalent in young adult books um, and then I think it was 2020 happened and uh, I wanted to write something new I was at the end of all of my young adult contracts and what was it um, bookish and the beast and among the beasts and briars had come out or or, or were coming out. I was like, Holly, I have this really weird, uh, weird adult romance that I that I think I want to pitch to you and try to write. What do you think? And like, she was like, how weird? Because to (laughs) Holly, the weirder, the better. So I was like, well, it's this. 
And I wrote six chapters of it and I outlined the rest of it and went, we took it out on submission and that was it. Basically um, it, the dead romantics actually started as a, as a fanfic that I never posted on AO3. It was a Raylo fanfic. And then I liked the idea and the stories too much. So I just, I just shook out the fanfic components of it and I dusted it off and, and I uh, made it a, a, a ghost story. So the thing I remember about the dead romantics last summer is that that book was everywhere. Every time I turned around, somebody was posting about it, raving about it. So I really need to get it read. So I was excited when I saw you had a new book coming and I love time travel. So I'm very glad I picked it up and I will go back and pick up the dead romantics soon. Uh, yeah, it was so surreal seeing it up like in my local Target. I was like, oh my gosh, you. <laughs> and it was a... Uh... It was a lot of fun. It was such a wild and lovely ride. Have you had the experience of being out in the wild and seeing somebody reading it? Not yet. And I'm not sure how I would react if I did see someone out reading it in the wild. Once I went to, um, not my local Barnes & Noble, but the Barnes & Noble a little further away from me. And there were these uh, young women in the young adult section. And this was... uh, this was, I think, right before like Dead Romantics came out, and they were they were looking for for my Once Upon a Con trilogy, <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh yeah, that that Ashley Post and I hear she's kind of weird. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I've heard those books are really good. Make sure you track them down. No, I was like, I hear she's really weird, but those books, <laughs> those books are fun. <laughs> and they just looked at me. And then like five minutes later, they like found one of the books and they saw the, the, the author photo on the back and they, and they turned and I was still in the aisle and they found me. They're like, you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> You're like, sorry, I just couldn't pass it up. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't want to like interrupt your, your search for books because it's, it's weird. But hello. <laughs> I just think that would be the weirdest feeling to be at the airport or to be at the doctor's office, wherever you are, and look over and be like, oh my gosh, they're reading The Dead Romantics or The Seven Year Slip next week. Yeah, that would, um, that would be absolutely wild. I'm, I'm actually not sure how I, as I said, I'm not sure how I would react or like what kind of fool I would make of myself, but I, but I will promise you, I will, I will make a fool out of myself and I will love doing every moment of it. You can start screaming, that's my book. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, yeah, they die at the end. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but that book has a terribly happy ending. I mean, it's like just (laughs) full of joy. It's so gross. (laughs) Why would that author do that? Exactly. Just like just just completely troll them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, you mentioned talking about other books all the time. So I would love to hear what you have read recently that you really liked. Oh my gosh, I would love to tell you the books that I've read recently that I have just fallen in love with. Um, I have five recommendations because I, I can't choose just one. Uh, so the first one is That Summer Feeling by Bridget Morrissey. It is the sapphic adult summer camp rom-com of your dreams. Um, I'm not really a woodsy girl, so I would rather read about people doing cool stuff in the woods that I actually do it myself. The one time I went camping, I got chased by a baby bear one night. So I'm just, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. You're like, I'll pass. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass forever. But that summer feeling made me want to 
find a really hot woman and just kiss her in the woods. It's, <laughs> it is it is so good. So if you're looking for like an, an adult camp rom-com, that is it. It will scratch every itch. Uh, speaking of scratching itches, uh, Business or Pleasure by Rachel and Solomon is, I am, I am obsessed. I am absolutely obsessed. It is about a ghostwriter and an actor from a certain werewolf TV series who fall in love in this delightfully nerdy rom-com. Um, Rachel and Solomon can do no wrong, and the certain werewolf TV series is not Teen Wolf, but it's not not Teen Wolf. <laughs> and she has to end up uh, writing, well, ghostwriting his memoir, and it's, it, it, it's so good. My daughter loves her YA books. I didn't even know she wrote YA, and so then my daughter was telling me that because I've read the X-Talk. I think that's the only ones of hers I've read, but I didn't know she did YA as well. Oh yeah, there's there's quite a few of us who uh, who like straddle the YA adult line, and Rachel and, R- Rachel and Solomon is is one of my auto buys at this point. Um, both her adult and her YA are just so swoony and fantastic. I also recommend The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. It's basically you've got mail, but make it steamy. Uh, it's about a woman who wants to be a children's book editor who writes emails to her favorite fantasy author, but then one day he just stops replying to her emails and then she starts to talk to one of her neighbors who might or might not be more familiar than he lets on. <laughs> so it's it's definitely has like that uh that like Nora Ephron like uh sort of feel to it. It was it's it's very, very lovely. That sounds so cute. I love you've got mail. It's 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 so cute. It it definitely like it if you're craving a you've got mail sort of uh scenario, but like without the weird, I'm a rival bookseller and you're still going to fall in love with me. You know, it's 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 great. The Secret Service of Tea and Treason by India Holton is the third book in the Daring Damsel series, and I loved her other two books so much so far. And this one is about two rival spies who fall in love between pirates, witches, and a fake marriage. Uh, It's a historical fantasy. It's super snarky. And it's one of my favorite breezy, not contemporary beach reads. I don't think I'm familiar with her, but that one sounds intriguing. It is. It is so good. If you're looking for something kind of that feels a little bit uh like Bridgerton meets Howl's Moving Castle, that's it. (laughs) But it's like... Definitely it has like some like Princess Bride thrown in the mix. It's very snarky. It's it's witty. It's I, I can't say enough good things about it. And my last uh, recommendation is uh, Mrs. Nash's Ashes. Say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Sarah Adler. It's Grumpy Meets Sunshine. Um, it's a road trip book from Washington, D.C. to Key West, Florida. It has a pigeon in it. And uh, it has probably the best uh, fake fictional, like, festival, small town festival I have ever read in any book ever. And I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> You're like, I like the pigeon part because I included them in my book. Yes. Um, pigeons are the rats of the sky and I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. It was delightful to chat with you. And I can't wait for the seven-year slip to get out into the world. Thank you so much. It was so delightful to talk to you. Hello. 
and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts from a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts from a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.